Hello and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the fishing community since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in this latest chapter of serving the fishing community, the Saltwater Podcast Series. In this Saltwater Podcast Series, we talk to our guide and captain friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share their insights on how to catch more fish more often with the hope that not only will you be able to catch more fish more often, but just have the confidence to spend more time more often with more friends, more family on the water because that's what it's really about. Um, in this episode, we are joined by Captain Justin Ragsdale, of Breakday Charters out of the Atlantic Beach area. And Justin Ragsdale is going to be talking about uh, nearshore, nearshore flounder tactics. We're going to cover such topics as gear, rigging, the uh, where and when, and the presentation. And um, before we get to Justin, I'd like to introduce you as I am joined every week with my co-host, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. What's Hi. going on, Gary? How you doing, Billy? Good to see you, man. Yeah, man, we're back in the chairs. We're electronic out. We're ready You're to go. You're looking tan. You've been spending some time on the boat. Yes. I, I do not look tan. I need a boat. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there for week 7, 19, whatever we're on here. I think I like your approach, man. I think if you mention it in every podcast. <laughs> every episode. Then at least by the 2500th podcast. Yeah. Somebody. Someone might just give you a boat to S shut you up. Somebody's going to be like, dude, please. Here, just, just take, take this, this boat and don't yeah. mention it ever it could, again. And I'm not saying it has to be a fancy boat. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Yeah, dude. Looking forward to this episode, man. Love flounder fishing. Going to love it more in Everyone in loves flounder. Here. Most people love flounder fishing. Yeah, it's awesome. So um, looking looking forward to it. Uh, and if you're looking forward to it, if, you know, if you're watching, you know how to watch. If you're listening, you know how to listen. But if you don't, I'm going to show you this special little slide we have here. Uh, it's uh, You can listen to us on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also you can watch us um, on our YouTube channel. And be sure to like and subscribe to those channels. Um, and then the quickest way to really find us is go to fishermanspost.com, go to the podcast tab right up there at the front, and you can see a whole list of our shows, uh, or you can go to the drop-down menu to listen, and that's probably the easiest way. Um, I just had that great brain idea to tell people hey go to the website where it's all linked <laughs> that is a good point yeah okay let me list all these or i can just tell you one place to go um so yeah man and then uh, also we want to thank our sponsors making this possible as you can see there uh, the logo between us is marine warehouse center and got a quick video from those guys and we'll be right back Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. Boom, right there. There was a lot of boats in that video. Gary. There are a lot of boats. <laughs> pick one. A lot of boats. Yeah, just pick one and somebody will be like, oh, I'll just get this for that kid. 
Oh man, where are we at? What are we doing now? You want to see a fish picture? No, Before we don't. see a pic, I actually oh. want to talk about Marine Warehouse Center just a oh, bit. Just a little more. Great, great organization, great company, sales, service parts, and behind any great company, great people. You, I agree. You follow me. I agree, yeah. So I've been focused pretty intently on Emmett, <laughs> veered slightly to Terrell, <laughs> and I figured, you know what? Why let Emmett and Terrell have all the fun. Let's introduce you to some of the other team members of Marine Warehouse Center. You're following me, right? All right, I'm following you. I'm with you. And we're going to do it in the form of a true false. At least this week, we're going to do all it right. in the form of a true false. So I have a true false question for you. The employee that we're focused on this week is Lil Stovall. True. She, she is the marketing and advertising manager. That's not the question. Oh. <laughs> Dang it. So that is her title, marketing, advertising marketing. manager. All true right. false. Lil was hired based entirely on her expertise and her employment had nothing to do with being Emmett's sister. True, false. That's definitely true. It is true. I, I feel like that's true. I mean, whether it's true or not, that's what we have that's to say <laughs> because Lil's in our corner. And if we were to dog she her. great at her job. If we were to dog her on nepotism, then we yeah. might. Then you have less chance of getting a boat. <laughs> yeah, way, way less. less. <laughs> now I'm ready for oh, a fish photo. All right, here we go. Fish photo coming right up. There we go. Look at that flounder. Jeez, OP. Isabel Shelley with a flounder caught and released uh, while using a finger mullet on a wreck off of Holden Beach. So, yeah, man, good-looking fish right there. Yeah, I picked out a nearshore fish. You know, our topic today is near fo- nearshore flounder, so I picked one yeah. out. I thought that was a great photo. Now, good do you think the photo, the background. you think it was really that big, or was she doing the old... Push it to the push it to the camera trick. I think she is too young to <laughs> manipulate the fish in that way, and that was truly a that, great catch. That's just the captain's. Uh, that's what trick, I, I suppose. I mean, she could be consulted, but I'm going to believe. <laughs> You're going to believe? Okay, I see. Oh, she get, she's a purist fisherman. Okay, good, good for her. All right, <laughs> now before I go to introduce my guest, Billy, a reminder that when we come back after talking to Justin. I am hitting you up for Billy's best takeaway. All right, I'm ready. Now, Justin's going to be full of information. I need you to keep up today. I'm ready. I need you to follow. I, I don't forgot need you my to... pen, but I'm ready. All right. I will remember. Well, let's go to the talent. Let's go to Captain Justin Ragsdale. Hello, Captain Justin Ragsdale. Are you there? Good evening, Gary. How are you this evening? Man, doing good. Justin Ragsdale, again, of Breakday Charters out of Atlantic Beach. And so this is the point in the podcast where I say, Justin, before we talk about nearshore flounder tactics, before we talk about gear, rigging, where and when, and presentation, please tell our podcast viewers, our podcast listeners, why they should spend the next 30 or so minutes listening to you talk about a flounder. So flounder fishing is a passion of mine. Um, Whether it's chasing summer flounder in the Chesapeake Bay uh, whether it was dragging for flounder as a kid on the pier while everybody else was catching Spanish mackerel and bluefish. I was at the cleaning tables dragging for flounder. Um, it's something I've done for probably 35 years now. And uh, not only do I like the way they taste, but I, the, the challenge of catching them um, uh, has led me to get better and better at it. And it's one of my passions for fishing. It's what I started my business doing. And one of the things that I started advertising is, uh, why people should come charter a day with me. Man, right on. I know I've had good flounder days on the boat with you and great flounder conversations with you. That's why you were a, a no brainer for nearshore flounder tactics. Um, 
But Justin, before we get to the meat of the matter, we have a feature on this podcast called Two Questions. And so these are two questions that aren't necessarily fishing related. And what I, my approach for you was, you have done a great job repeatedly telling me how to tell the difference between the different species of flounder. And, you know, you might have to do it again because my retention just isn't there. But since you were good at telling the difference between the different species of flounder, I use that as my theme for two questions. So, Justin Ragsdale, question number one. How do you tell the difference between a sheep and a goat? Between a sheep and a goat? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with uh, horns. I don't, I don't think that's right. The, I had to Google this, so it's not like I have this knowledge. I mean, I can't present like that. Goats, tails are up. Sheep, tails are down. Ah, that's why the sheep is challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to question number two. This How is, dare you set me up like that? This is, this is a little fishing oriented. How do you tell the difference between a dolphin and a porpoise? Same thing. Tails up, tails down? I'm going to go with the same thing. <laughs> Again, I have to read because I didn't know the answer. Porpoises, rounded faces, chunky bodies, triangular dorsal fins, dolphins, pointy faces, slender bodies, curved dorsal fins. Thank you for humoring our feature of two questions. Justin Ragsdale, let's jump right into nearshore flounder tactics. Um, I think we said we're going to talk about gear first, so let's start it off, man. What do I need for nearshore that's out in the beach, out in the ocean? What do I need for nearshore flounder? So basically, me and you have had this discussion before, and of course I forgot the, the first item on my list with you on that one trip, of course, but a landing net. A landing net is needed, period. Um, you don't want to go lifting flounder into the boat. You're probably going to only bat about 50% landing them. Um, they're head shakers, and they tend to not be hooked firmly every single time. Um, second, uh, leader material, whether it's for a bait rig or for a uh, bucktail rig, uh, jigging lure, I'm going to go with 30-pound uh, fluorocarbon. Um, you know, the brand is really insignificant, but 30 pound just seems to be the magic number for abrasion resistance. Um, I have been known to go as high as 40 pound fluorocarbon. Um, flounder aren't terribly, uh, uh, tackle shy, but, uh, the performance of that fluorocarbon is beyond, uh, beyond doubt. When it comes to bait rigs, I'm a big fan of, uh, let's see here, put it on the screen. Oh, there we go. That's terrible. But anyways, I'm a big fan of three-aught Kaylee hooks, Eagle Claw, um, laser sharps, but three-aught's my go-to for uh, nearshore flounder fishing generally because the baits are larger. Um, you're going to need barrel swivels, um, and you're going to need, you know, ounce and a half to three-ounce egg sinkers. Um, trailers for bucktails, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Berkeley Gulp four-inch pearl shrimp. Uh uh, molten molding colors fine as well. Um, and then, uh, in addition to that, it, they're a little, they, they're a little tougher and they avoid some, uh, cutoffs from bluefish and your other smaller fish like sea bass and so forth that tend to nip the gulp off. But, uh, big fan of, uh, Z man. Ooh. 
Z-Man jerk shads, five inch pearl. Um, when I'm using those, um, uh, you don't need to add this to the Berkeley Gulp shrimp, but a uh, big fan of uh, uh, Procure. Uh, inshore saltwater flavor is, is uh, good enough. But um, bucktail-wise, ounce and a half to two and a half ounce bucktails. Um, I make my own. Um, man, these things are floating in space. But uh, um, I'm a big fan of a little bit of green, and I also like my pearls. But with my pearl, I tend to like a little uh, – um, uh, I like a glow head. Um, and, again, most of my bucktails are going to be ounce and a half to two and a half ounces, but we'll get into that. Um, as far as rods and reels go, uh, I use two. I use uh, a set. They're both seven footers, but uh, I'm using a three eighths uh, two ounce rod blank. Um, I use a star aerial, but uh, you know, TFO makes the same rod. Um, Shimano makes the same rod uh, in the Terramar series. And then the other rod that I'm using a lot of is going to be uh, a 3000 series spinning reel. And I'm going to have it on an ounce, a half ounce to an ounce and a half rod. Again, it's a seven footer TFO, Shimano, um, star. They all make a rod appropriate to that. Um, as far as tackle, that pretty much rounds it out. Um, pretty much barrel swivels, hooks, egg sinkers, some plastic trailers, gulp, 30 pound fluoro and, like I said, the two rods in real sizes, I like the 4,000 on the uh, half ounce to uh, two ounce model. And then I like the 3,000 series rod on a uh, half ounce to one and a half ounce rod. And in the case of the heavier rod, I usually run 30 pound braid. On the lighter rod, I'm using a 20 pound braid. What kind of action do you like on those rods? Like, you know, for the action of, I'm thinking more bouncing a bucktail than, you know, dragging a bait across out there in the near shore bottom. I mean, is it a fast? So I like tip? a is fast action tip. And why you is know, that? I like a fast action tip. The rods that I'm using are, are going to be in the medium heavy to heavy class. Um, you got to remember most of this, most of this fishing's in 40 to 60 foot of water. And you definitely want a rod that uh, has plenty of snap and can move the lure uh, in the position of uh, setting the hook quickly. Um, with a bait rod, you can get away with a little more moderate, slow action. But um, um, generally speaking, it, you know, my rods are going to be in the heavy class or the medium heavy class. And then how about this, man? Um, again, I fished with them. I know you are proud of them. Tell me a little bit more about break day bucktails. Like why are they, so, why are they a good bucktail? So number one, I start off with a, uh, an eight-aught gamakatsu jig hook. Um, Spro bucktails are great, and I use plenty of them, but – in the business I'm in, I might go through 15, 20 bucktails and leave them on the bottom on any given day. So for me, it's more of a business decision, but the buck, the hook on a Spro is a little bit big. Um, you know, years ago, as I understand it, um, they started when the stripers were running really good up and down the coast, um, they moved to a heavier gauge hook. It still does the job. I still use them today when I need to get some, if I'm out of mine, but, um, the 8 aught Gamakatsu hook that I use is just dead on for flounder. It, it works really well. Um, my bucktails don't chip. Um, all of them are, uh, all my bucktails are vinyl coated. 
Um, I use heavy eyes. Um, I use, you know, everything's bucktail, bucktail, nothing else moves like bucktail, hair underwater. Um, over the years, I've just found that glow and a little bit of green make a big difference uh, to flounder. Uh, my trailers are always white. Um, I don't ever mess with that. And I like gold flash, um, gold flash, uh, pinfish, croakers, menhaden, all the forage species that flounder eat. They all tend to have a gold flash in them somewhere along their bodies. And again, some flash is better than none, but uh, the gold really makes a difference to me. And uh, the, being that they're vinyl coated, they don't chip up. Uh, they may cut, they may, uh, you know, they may get some uh, marks on them, but the vinyl paint doesn't chip and they continue to stay true to their color. All right. I follow and they're up. made right here. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I know that's part of your winter pastime. Um, and again, I've, I've used them. I've used peppermint patty. I've used it successfully. Hey, one last question about gear and maybe, you know, I think in my notes I have, we're going to rigging next. So maybe it will be there. Uh, length of leader, whether you're bait fishing length of leader, if you're jigging a bucktail. So I generally shoot for a two foot leader for either application. Um, with the bucktail, I tend to, if it gets down to six or eight inches, I might finally clip it off. Um, and with the, the live bait leader, um, I like a two foot leader. So a lot of the stuff that you're fishing around out there, and we'll get into that a little bit later, um, it has some relief. So it might be a pile of concrete rubble. It might be a foot long, a foot tall, foot and a half tall ledge. But given that live bait, a leash to kind of swim up and down in the water column by two feet, um, it might make the difference between a flounder that's only four foot away and laying behind a piece of debris. He's liable to catch a glimpse of that fish swimming up off the bottom a little bit of a ways, and he's liable to move right on over and take care of that. Um, that so the longer leader for the live bait's more about presentation. Again, flounder aren't real uh, terminal tackle shy, so you know just separating that braid from the bucktail by you know eight ten inches is more than enough. All right, man. Well, in our notes, in our pre-podcast notes, it was um, gear and then rigging. Maybe we've covered both of those. I'm not exactly sure. Um, before we go to when, where, ties, etc., anything else on gear, anything else on rigging? So, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to put things into the picture for folks to see clearly, it seems. <laughs> like when I hold We enjoy up, you, you trying, though. What's that? We enjoy you trying. It's just kind of funny. But, I mean, is it even clear when I'm holding it up? Yeah, hold something up. All right. All right. This is a test. <laughs> yeah, this is a test. There yeah, man. Yeah, it looks good. It looks perfect. I can take a bite of that right now. All right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's my peppermint patty color. Again, I'm tying straight to my uh, eyelet with 30-pound fluorocarbon. And, you know, everybody's got their favorite knot. It's going to be hard to see. I use an Albright knot to connect my braid to my uh, fluorocarbon. Um, but, you know, a, a uni to uni is just fine. Um, I, I can just tie an Albright without looking at it. So that's why I use that. And it's a little bit smaller of a knot, too. So it goes through the gods a little better. Um, with the... With the... Uh, let's see here. And, you know, 
the bait rig of choice is simply going to be a Carolina rig. So your sinker's just sliding on your braid. Some people use a bead right above the, the swivel on the braid. That's just one more five cent piece thing to lose because you're going to break stuff off where we're fishing. I like a larger swivel just because it stops the uh, um, sinker better. And it's also easier for me to see and put the line through. And then, like I said, we're going through about a two, two foot liter of fluoro. And then I'm just terminating with a three aught Kaylee hook. All right. Well, I'm going to shift to the when, where, and I think you even put tides in there. So you're talking to us. Atlantic Beach is your home waters. You know, people will be watching this from up and down North Carolina. So what can you tell us about items to consider when choosing to target nearshore flounder? All right. So, you know, we're not allowed to fish in November. Do you want me just to address what we're doing now and what's being illegal and allowed? Yeah. And our fl that's a great idea. Way to cl clarify. In the, in the flounder window we have this year, where are you going to want to be? All right. So the flounder window that we have, again, we're talking about nearshore flounder. Um, here at Atlantic Beach, um, we have a plethora of artificial reefs. You know, they may have ships on them, concrete rubble, reef balls, barges, tugboats, the whole, it runs the gamut, all kinds of debris there. Um, some of that stuff has relief of 20 feet. Some of that stuff has relief of six or eight inches. Um, here off our coast, and you know, you pretty much have to go to 60 feet, 50 plus feet to find, uh, to find ledges. The further south you go, you get to Bogue, then you move on down to Wilmington. Those guys are going to have some ledges that are in, you know, natural rock, natural bottom. They're going to have some ledges that are only in, say, uh, you know, 25 feet. But largely here in Atlantic Beach, um, you know, our artificial reefs largely sit in 45 to 50 feet of water. And the ledges that we're going to want to be fishing, they're going to be out along that 60-foot contour. There's fish beyond that, but that's usually earlier in the season. Um, you know, that's that would be an early spring type thing. So mostly what we're going to concentrate on is going to be like 40 to 60 feet. Um, you're going to notice that, uh, um, you know, you're not going to mark flounder on the bottom. Um, so you're going to be looking for bait fish. Bait fish hang around the, the same things that flounder like to hang around. Uh, black sea bass mark really well on a fish finder. So uh, when you when you see these uh, when you see fish on something and you're not on an artificial reef, um, there's a pretty good chance that if they're hugging the bottom, there's a reason they're there. It's not because it's just sand. Um, you know, I leave my fish finder, my sonar, I leave it in the factory color defaults. So to me, a yellow is sand, and when you start seeing your oranges and your reds, um, that's when you're that's when you're picking up your hard returns, which are going to be your ledges. Um, some of your ledges may only be a couple inches tall. You might have to zoom in on the bottom to get them. Um, some of those ledges are going to be easy to see without zooming in because they're two or three feet. Um, but the best time to find these ledges, it's not going to be right now. The season we got starts on the 16th of August and it runs through the, the 30th of September. But, you know, if you have hard bottom that's near shore that you catch king mackerel on because there's always cigar minnows there, um, you have some stuff in 50, 60 feet of water where you, you know, commonly run into small sea bass. Most of them are small, you know, six, eight, 10 inch sea bass. 
Um, those are the kind of places that flounder are going to hang out as well. Um, you know, when you're jigging on a artificial reef, you know, you don't want to go right up next to the ship and drift, try to drift across it. Cause guess what? You're going to lose all your stuff every single time. So when you go flounder fishing, you should go with the attitude that you're fishing for flounder, just drifting across an artificial reef. It's a good way to find places. But when you're making those long drifts, you really have to make note of where you're picking up flounder and where you're not. Um, you know, some of my favorite spots on the, uh, some of our artificial reefs out of Beaufort Inlet, um, you know, it's just scattered concrete. None of it has a real high relief. Like most of it's probably six to six inches to a foot tall. Um, there are years where the flounder gravitate more heavily towards the low relief. And there's years where they gravitate more heavily to be around the high relief. Uh, I think that's a function of where the bait fish are tending to hold. Um, but, uh, you know, you definitely need to be staring at your fish finder when you're riding around doing other things like king mackerel fishing or Spanish mackerel fishing and you're trolling or you're trying to do some bottom fishing for other things year round. Uh, you know, you keep your face glued to that fish finder, that sonar unit. And when you see those hard returns, those are places to come back to and check out for flounder later on. Um, <clears throat> you know, with the, with the season being so closed, there's a lot of fish out there. I've been bumping into fish, fishing for gray trout, um, you know, on sting silver type lures. Um, I've been bumping into flounder while I've been, uh, you know, uh, fishing for sea bass right now. Um, there's fish there for sure. Um, we have three species. We have summer flounder, gulf flounder, and southern flounder. So unfortunately, our main species, which is a southern flounder, has been tied up into this closure. Um, and they've wrapped the other two species up into that as well. So, you know, even if you can tell the difference, it's been closed to all of us. But as a general rule, the southern flounder are going to hang in or the tightest to the structure. They have, uh, they have a, uh, they have a love for being up inside of the structure. They, they're going to lay in it on it. Uh, the Gulf flounder, uh, they tend to lay on the edges. Um, and the summer flounder tended to lay on the sandy stuff around that structure. Um, but, uh, you know, drifting across the place, going on past the structure can sometimes pay off big dividends. Um, if you're marking a school of bait that's 25 feet away from one of your favorite pieces of structure, don't think for a second that those flounder won't leave that structure and go underneath that bait ball and start eating. I mean, I've caught plenty of fish out on the sand, uh, but they have to have a reason to want to go over there and be out in the sand. Um, but again, your summer flounder might be laying anywhere around the structure. They can lay 50, 100 feet away from stuff, uh, but your golf's going to be closer and your Southerns tend to be laying right in the mess. Um, but a lot of people make these long drifts and I tend to fish. If I get, a, if I get bit consistently in a certain spot, I'm not going to worry about drifting to it. I want to go ahead and get to it and get on it. Um, I want to hit that spot. I may drift over it two or three times, you know, keeping five, 10, 15 feet between my drifts to make sure I cover it. Um, but, uh, you know, 
you have to think that you're just chasing flounder. You're not worried about catching fish for the day. You're worried about fishing for flounder. And I just see a lot of people wasting time making long drifts over big areas. Um, and, you know, I'll see them from a distance catching a flounder here and there along that whole drift. But then they go back and they do the whole drift again. Um, you know, particularly our AR-315, for example, it's not continuous structure. Um, you might have a 10-foot circle of debris. Then you might have 50 feet of sand. And then you have another 15-foot circle of debris as well. So, um, you know, wasting that time to drift that 100 feet, that 50 feet in between is just lost time. Um, tides do make a difference. Hey, let um, me, uh, let me hold you up for just a second before you go to tides. So yep. I'm guessing this is the answer, but I just want to clarify out there, whether you're bucktailing or live bait fishing on near shore structure, near shore ledges, you're always drifting. You're never anchored. Is, is that true? So I'm not an anchor guy. I don't anchor and fish. It's a waste of time. I know guys that do really well at it, um, but I want to cover ground. A lot of my trips are only four hours. Um, you know, if you anchor up and you anchor up wrong or you anchor up on what you think is going to be a really good bite, but it only turns out to be two flounder. Well, in all honesty, you've wasted 25 to 30 minutes of your fishing day deploying the anchor and then bringing the anchor back. Um, I like to slow my drift with the motor. Um, there's, you have those perfect days where the boat does a knot and it doesn't really matter and everything's good, but that's generally not the kind of conditions that you have. So whether it's the wind or it's the current or it's the tide, whatever is moving me the fastest, uh, whatever the fastest uh, uh, force is on the boat, I'm going to put the stern into that force and I'm going to be in and out of reverse, bumping it, bumping in and out of reverse to keep the, the, the momentum of the boat uh, slowed down. And basically, um, I'm looking to be under a knot at all times. Okay. Um, you know, if I, if I get over a knot, um, you know, I've, I've caught fish doing that. But if I'm drifting along at knot, knot and a half, I'm going to get some bites. But what I'm mostly going to do is consistently snag, break off rigs. And then I'm retying, which results in more lost fishing time. Um, so I'm using the motor to do a controlled drift most of the time. Um, you know, on a flounder trip, other than being in reverse, other than being in forward on the way to a spot, um, my motor's in reverse probably uh, more than it is in forward on a flounder trip. All right. I got another question, too, that came up um, just as I was listening to you talk. So if I'm, if I'm working an AR, I'm working a ledge, and I get in small sea bass, if I'm in a small sea bass bite, is that a good thing because there's going to be flounder around where there's small sea bass, or is that a bad thing because those small sea bass are going to bother me before I get a flounder bite? So other than being annoying, um, flounder and sea bass like the same structure. Um, you know, if they're eating up my gulps, I'm probably going to go to my Z-man so that I'm not wasting not wasting bait. Um, but they literally are in the same habitat. Um, you know, the bass may be holding on a certain part of the structure, um, but you may have to go through those bass to get to where you are. And again, you know, one way to minimize that, you know, the, the bucktail, the lure fishing itself is going to minimize your sea bass. Um, 
you know, you're a lot of those fish on those near shore reefs and ledges under 60 feet, they have a hard time gobbling that bucktail down. I mean, you're going to feel them hit it. You're going to feel them hit it. But if you're fishing a two and a half inch mullet, you're doomed. I mean, every one of them is going to get it. Every one of them is going to eat the hook. So you can avoid some of that by fishing a larger bait. Um, you know, if you're bait fishing, but, but the lures really cut down on that interaction. Um, I find that, the the bass tend to congregate on the high point of the structure. Um, but you may have to go over the high point of that structure, depending on the drift to get to the point where the flounder are on the down current side. Um, you know, unlike a bridge, a lot of people think everything's about current. Um, you know, you gotta be the, on the down current side of this structure, but you got to remember, it's not a bridge piling. We're out in the middle of the, of the ocean and, you know, you don't have near the forces that are being generated out in the ocean by tide. So these fish can be scattered on all sides. Um, is that to say that there's certain types of structure that the bet, you know, that holds flounder better on the down, down current side? Sure. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of the places I fish, they're just scattered all around it. So how much Absolutely. do you, uh, this is a good segue because you were going to go into tides before I sort of held you back for a minute. So talk to us because, again, I, I don't think that's not necessarily a natural thought when you're out in the ocean targeting flounder is this is still affected by tides. So give us a little bit of that, and then I want to move into presentation because I want to make sure you have plenty of time to talk about presentation. So tides in the ocean are, uh, are very important. Uh, flounder, don't, they don't eat all day long. Um, I've had days, like say I've had a full day to flounder fish. I've had days where the flounder ate for an hour and a half, then they didn't bite very well, then they ate for 20 minutes, and then they, you know, ate for a half an hour later on. You know, um, you, you can't make a flounder bite if he's not in the mood. Um, it's just like a speckled trout. <clears throat> you know, if you're throwing jigs in a hole, uh, you know there's speckled trout in that hole you can stay there for two hours and then all of a sudden they turn on for 20 minutes and eat. So that's all tide related stuff or current related stuff. Um, so for example, if you have a Northeast wind that's blowing 10 or 15, that's coming straight out of Beaufort Inlet. If it's an outgoing tide at the same time, then you got probably a couple knots of current and then you have the wind blowing on behind it. Um, generally speaking, those aren't great conditions for flounder fishing. You know, it might be better to pick up and move on and go troll for some Spanish, go live bait for some big Spanish, and then come back when, when those heavy, heavy currents have uh, subsided. Um, in all honesty, it's more about current speed, uh, tidal speed, than it is about the actual stage of the tide. Um, these flounder are, uh, they're attack predators. You know, they, they lay in one spot and like for things to swim to them. So... When they jump up off the bottom, they're liable to get swept away 10 feet. And they've been laying in this place that they like so much. They're just going to spend a lot more energy to feed when the current's ripping. Um, and again, if you're fishing spots that you know that hold flounder and, uh, you know, you're not getting bit and you're not able to stay vertical, um, you know, it's time to go do something else or maybe go hit a different spot. So I've had days, for example, where the current on the other side of a Liberty ship, a lot of our, you know, a lot of our near shore reefs have the big 400 foot long Liberty ships, you know, the current's blasting from one way or the other, east or west, whichever way. And you can't get bit on any structure that might even be a hundred, 200, 300, 400 feet away from that boat. That's on the up current side. 
However, you get to the other side of that current break, which is 400 feet long now, you start picking away on those other pieces of structure, well, there's enough current break that the fish are in the mood to feed. Um, as a general rule, and, th and this, is really a, this is really a general rule for, for gauging that tide or that current speed, um, I want my baits, whether I'm fishing, a, I'm in reverse, I'm in and out of reverse, I may be in reverse steady, but I want my baits as vertical as possible, whether I'm bucktailing or whether I'm dragging a live bait on a Carolina rig. So if I can't keep my baits within 20 degrees of vertical, um, I just find that the fish aren't biting. They're not real active. Um, once I, you know, like I said, I fish an ounce and a half to a two and a half ounce bucktail in weight. Um, I've pretty much found if I have to go above two and a half ounces, um, I'm not getting, the fish aren't going to bite a three or a four ounce bucktail or a five ounce bucktail, even though it's now vertical. Um, the current is so fast that they're just not in the mood to feed. Um, and the same holds true, uh, with a uh, live bait rig. Once I have to go past a three ounce egg sinker to stay within 10 or 20 degrees of vertical, um, I just find that the fish aren't feeding. They're going to lay off until, the until the current subsides or changes. All right. Give me, a, this is good. I mean, this is great information. Give me a little bit more, you know, we're, we're wrapping, we're in the final stretch a little bit more on presentation of live bait, you know, the highlight reel, you know, am I doing anything besides dragging it? Am I employing any kind of action on it? And then of course we are employing action on bucktail. So then the quick of how we're presenting the bucktails as we're drifting. Okay. So, uh, live bait rigs, um, you know, the minute, you know, ledges in the artificial reefs, they all have, uh, they all have relief. Um, if you're just going to take your rods, make sure the sinker gets to the bottom and you're just going to drift along and that thing's dragging out there a hundred feet behind the boat, um, you're not going to catch many flounder. The rod needs to be in your hand. Um, have I caught flounder free drifting with a rod in the holder? Sure I have, but I've snagged more doing that. Um, so again, Boat speed is critical. So I use my motors. Um, if somebody likes to do long drifts, it's perfectly fine, right? We're out there to have fun. We're out there to enjoy our day and we all should enjoy our day the way we like. But a drift sock, um, a couple of five gallon buckets tied off with rope to the cleats, um, anything to slow you down on that presentation. So Again, I've already made a reference to being as near to vertical as possible with uh, either a live bait rig or a bucktail. I want just enough weight. There's days I've been in 50 feet of water and I've gone to a one ounce egg sinker um, just because there's like zero current, there's zero wind. Um, and there's this, uh, you know, you have dwell time. So if there's no current, the minute your sinker falls into a crevice or the minute your, 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 your baits are just laying in one spot because the boat's not moving, um, it's just prone to snag. So, I like to use the least amount of weight to present the bait. And again, I've already made references to what's uh, too heavy uh, and what's an indicator that, you know, it's time to go fish for something else. But I'm going to use a one and a half ounce sinker if I can. If I can get away with it and keep it down there, I will. Um, I tend, you, you want to tend your weight. So you don't want it just to hit the bottom and then let 10 more feet out to make sure it stays on the bottom. The rod should be in your hand. 
and you should be lifting up gently. You're not trying to jig that live bait, of course, but you want to tend the weight into the bottom. So you want to lift up five, six inches, set it back down, make sure that that egg sinker hit, and then just keep going along like that. Um, there are days where, you know, you find a bunch of fish in the sand. You don't need to keep, you don't need to tend as much, but if you're tending that bait and you're tending that weight on the bottom, um, you know, you're going to feel yourself bump into stuff and where you might need to lift up to come up over two feet of concrete. And again, my job running the boat for my clients at the end of the day, there's a lot of places where I want to drift right up to say a tugboat wreck. I want to get as close to I can to it and present the baits right up to the edge of it because those fish hang right along the edge of that wreck, right? But the minute I see it on the screen, I'm going to have my guys fish as long as I think I can have them fish, and then I'm going to have them crank up. I'm going to drift over that piece of structure, and they don't need to come all the way up. They just need to come up to clear it, and then we'll clear the structure, and I'll have them drop right back down. It'll it'll you know, every time you got to tie a rig, I'm pretty quick at it. But every time you tie a rig, uh, somebody lost probably five minutes of fishing time. So it's for, for me, it's about efficiency. So, um, you know, that sonar will tell you when you're getting ready to hit the snag. Now, there's also places uh, where it's just concrete rubble and you don't have to be near as uh, worried about breaking off. Occasionally, your sinker will snag into a, a crevice. Um, but again, you know, you might have a hundred yards of concrete rubble that's only a foot tall it still has a lot there's a lot of sand that's covered it up over in storms over the years and it's a lot less snaggy and you need you don't need to be as uh, worried about watching the sonar uh, because you're not going to snag as often to begin with um, so again it's all about tending that weight uh, making sure you're staying close to the bottom now with bucktails um, the big thing that I see, and it's why I use the rods that I use, the heavier rods. Um, you know, we're not we're not catching flounder around a dock with six feet of water. We're not catching a flounder uh, in a sandy slough behind Shackleford. Um, you know, we're interacting with fish that could be as large as eight pounds, ten pounds on a lucky day, right? Well, they're fifty feet down. Um, you know, I catch. You know, when I'm flounder fishing inshore. I'm probably using a trout rod if I'm if I'm throwing jigs, and I'm probably using a say a, a three eighths to one ounce rod if I'm fishing bait inside. But again, the fish that we're catching there, they're going to be out away from the boat. They're not going to be in a vertical presentation, and uh, we don't need to make sure that we can get them up and away from the bottom. So, um, I see a lot of guys on the wreck, and they're jigging their bucktails uh, with say a uh, an eighth to three quarter or a half to one ounce rod. Well, if you're using a two ounce bucktail, um, you've already dampened the sensitivity because you've exceeded that, that rod's, uh, lure weight rating. But what else you've dampened is your ability to set the hook and drive the hook home into the jaw of the fish. So again, I'm using rods that are going to handle the weight of the lure Plus, they still have their ability to set the hook, and they still have their ability to, to uh, have the sensitivity to detect a bite. Um, with that being said, um, when you're drifting and you're jigging your bucktail, you really want to vary what you're doing. I've had days where the, the, the flounder only wanted a one- or two-inch hop. I've had days where they wanted it, you know, a one- or two-foot uh, jigging action. 
Um, and I've had days where they just want it dragging along the bottom and they'll literally come up to it, get a hold of that gulp and they'll eat it like a live bait. But I keep all of my jigging action between the surface of the water and about nine o'clock, maybe go to 10 o'clock. And the reason for that is, is when you get above 10 o'clock on your jigging action, um, you now have no hook set left. These fish will hit it falling. They'll hit it on the lift. They'll hit it, uh, dragging along. But if you're up above 10 o'clock with your rod tip while you're jigging a bucktail along and that fish happens to hit at the at the apex of that jigging action, you have nowhere to go with the rod. You're already high sticking. So number one, you're going to probably lose the hook set. And number two, you're a very good chance you'll break your rod high sticking. Um, once I've hooked a fish, I want to get that rod back to nine o'clock. I'm going to tuck the butt underneath my uh, underneath my arm. And I want to keep it at nine o'clock and all I want to do is turn the handle. I don't, you know, and I usually set my drags that, you know, a little peels off if you're turning too fast, but the, the flounder is a head shaker. Um, and you got to imagine once they have that hook in their jaw and they have that two ounce piece of leverage sticking out of their face, they're vibrating the whole way up. Well, let the rod take care of that. You don't want to horse them. You don't want to lift them. You just want to use, let the rod be the shock absorber and let the reel be uh, your winch. Um, and uh, I see a lot of guys, they start lifting on them, they start doing the Jimmy Houston or the Bill Dance on them, and all you're going to do is rip a, rip a hook out of their face, um, especially on bucktails. These fish are reaction striking. They're not, they're, it's not like they're sneaking up on a mullet and eating them on your hook. You know, he might be hooked in the back of the head. Um, he might be hooked in the side of the face. You may only have a lip. You may only have one lip. He may have it down his throat. You don't know. But uh, letting the rod take the absorption is the way to go and just use the reel to winch him up slowly to the surface. Now, once he's on the surface or near the surface, I like to have my clients pause him and keep the line tight. Like I've had, you know, do a figure eight with the fish, drag the fish along the boat, turn him around and bring him back until the net is there. But keep him about two foot below the surface. You bring him straight to the surface, he's going to go bonkers and start shaking his head, and he's going to get off. So you want the net man in position, and you never want to approach a flounder from the tail, the tail end. Again, if he's a 10-pounder and things are going wrong, you always got to try. But you want the angler to lead the head of the fish towards the net. Um, you come up from behind a flounder, and they're going to do some crazy things, and quite often they're going to get off. Gotcha, man. I, I wish we had more time to talk flounder with you, Justin. I knew going in, you know, just from our fishing time together, our talks about flounder before, that this would be a challenge to keep it to our time limit, not at all a challenge to fill it in. Man, this is great. I tell you what, Justin, um, one last thing I would love for you to do, you know, for my podcast watchers, listeners, you are certainly more than nearshore flounder, inshore flounder. So if you could quickly, if you could highlight real me what break day charters is offering in the spring, summer, and fall. So I'm a two boat platform. Um, I have a 22 foot uh, Tidewater Bay boat, and I currently have a 23 foot uh, Deep V center console. Um, I do everything. Um, I have things that I really like to do and I have things that I do because that's what's going on. Um, but I'm rigged up to, uh, you know, I love my fall trout fishing. I love my winter trout fishing. Um, you know, spring drum, uh, you know, I sight fish drum on Cape lookout. I sight fish Kobe out of my towers. 
Um, nothing better than live bait and big Spanish mackerel on the ARs in the summertime. Um, nothing better than chasing, uh, um, you know, big king mackerels on dead bait or live bait. Um, I'm happy to take kids to go catch, uh, um, you know, to just to show kids to fish. I mean, I had a little guy today. All we did was chase little ringtails and pinfish inside, but he was four years old. Um, I'm pretty much prepared to do whatever needs to be done. I would classify my business as largely inside of 25 miles. Um, I do do some blue water fishing, but most of that is uh, when it's the perfect day. Um, you know, I love I love to live bait grouper fish. I love to AJ fish. I love the top water AJ fish. Um, I love to tangle with uh, um, big barracudas, but um, marsh to ocean. I mean, my, my logo says it all. Um, I do it from inshore to offshore and uh there's nothing better um i'm a jack of all trades for sure i like to chase whatever's biting um i like to i like to get feedback from what people want to do or think they want to do um and you know if you call me and want to go speckled trout fishing right now there's some around um there's probably places you could eke out a limit but i'm going to definitely direct you to probably a different type of fishing this time of year in the heat um if we can get on the ocean let's go chase a multitude of fish but largely uh accepting the flounder not being open um you know the best bet right now is playing with drum i've been playing with a lot of drum in the the lower to uh over slot size and uh you know not going to waste somebody's time because the point of being out there is to have a bent rod and have a good time right on justin again man love to have you on the podcast imagine we're going to have you back for a future podcast enjoy the rest of your summer and uh and looking forward to the fall man it's been a joy Billy. Yeah, man, you you don't, oh. you don't you want me to go you want me to go over the the gear again without putting the crazy stuff in the air? <laughs> <laughs> That's for the next time. We're gonna we're gonna find some that next time. Billy. All right. The Billy's best takeaway. I want to go right to it. There was um, a lot of material. Yeah, a lot of material. I think the one thing that I can do on the boat that I don't have, that's in my imagination, is slow and steady. The turtle wins. I think that's what I got from, you know, like just make sure you're going slow control the drift control yeah, the drift man so I, again i've done it with justin successfully it's uh it's fun to do man catching flounder in the ocean awesome well just a quick reminder for everybody watching and listening how to watch and listen uh you can go check us out on um spotify podbean stitcher apple Podcasts, youtube and google play music but the easiest way is to go right on our website fishermanspost.com and click on the little podcast tab there's a drop down menu you can also watch or listen from there uh, and be sure to like and subscribe to, so you can get um, all the updates when we launch new stuff, new content. It'll all be available on there. So, yeah. And send us your shout out to Marine Warehouse. Send us your photos. Send us your fishing videos. Videos less than one minute, please. And, uh, Billy, a successful episode. That's it.